The Athletic. Both Manchester United and Chelsea invested in the next generation of exciting attacking talent this summer. An agreement for Hoyland was reached this morning. Chelsea have just confirmed the signing of forward Nicholas Jackson from Villarreal. While both Nicholas Jackson and Rasmus Hoyland have shown flashes of what they can offer. And Jackson has three! Big, broad, Senegal smile! Garnacho's got Hoyland up with him. He might not need him. Hoyland's there! Is the goal-scoring burden at the highest level too much to carry for two young strikers? I'm Ayo Akimwerere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. We've got the Strikers Union in with us today. We've got former Liverpool striker Neil Meller and also ex-Brighton and Hove Albion forward Glenn Murray as well. Also for the Athletic, we've got Oli Kane. Right, let's start with Rasmus Hoyland. He added to his Champions League tally of goals yesterday joined Alvaro Morata as the joint top scorer in the competition on five goals. How do we assess his impact so far at Manchester United? We'll start with you, Glenn. Well, Champions League's been superb. Five goals in four games. I don't think there's any questions there, but I suppose you've got to look at the level of opposition he's playing against. Uh, in the Premier League, he's been blunt, but I think you've got to take into consideration he's a young man, only 20 years old, a lot of pressure on his shoulders to score goals at a, at a huge football club, a new culture, new country, and basically it's a team in transition. So I, I think when you take all that into consideration, when I watch him, I feel as though he has got the attributes to to progress and, and to become a really top striker. I'm just not sure those around him are actually looking to help him score goals at the moment. Mm. Do you agree, Neil? Yeah, I think the big thing for me is the big players aren't performing at Manchester United. So if you're a new signing, you need them to help you settle in. And I think that's a big factor for Hoyland. He's a talented boy. There's no doubt about that. He's very young. He's done well in, in Europe, but not in the Premier League. But but who has done well in, in the Premier League for Manchester United? I mean, last season, Rashford had a brilliant season. He's got one goal in 15 games in all comps this season. That's not good enough for, for a player of his ability. Bruno Fernandes, another player who got double figures. Again, not, not contributing enough this season. Who else is contributing to that Man United team? Anthony's not. Sancho's fallen out with the manager. So as a new player coming in, you're thinking, cool, what's going on? This is Man United. It's supposed to be getting a little bit more help. And I think that hasn't helped him. I do think he's a top player. I think the manager as well hasn't really got an identity for, for, for the time he's been there. You know, if you look at Chelsea, Pochettino just arrived, so it'll take time. Klopp's got an identity. Not convinced Ten Hag has, which again has, hasn't helped uh, young Hoyland, but I do think he's a really good player. On a personal level, I only really heard of him from his international football uh, for Denmark. And obviously we're seeing what he's doing in, in the Champions League at the moment. He says he's a young player, so he can score goals on big stages, but not quite in the Premier League. Are some players more suited to tournament football than, than others? Or is it still too early to tell for a player like him? It's definitely too hard to tell whether he'll he'll excel in the league because you know there are so many variables and I don't think he's at a club which is making life easy for a young player not many young players have gone to Manchester United and done well over the last 10 years that's for that's for sure but I would say looking at him the way he plays there's been no service for him in the, in, in the Premier League I was writing this piece earlier in the week and contrasting him and Jackson and some of the runs he's made I mean the run he made last night to score the first goal against Copenhagen, he's made that run four, five, six times in the Premier League and people just haven't 
picked him out. There was one with Garnacho at Fulham on Saturday, one with Rashford against Brighton. If they can get the ball to him in the right positions, he will score goals. I've no doubt about that. And it might not, probably won't be in the volume that Haaland scores goals for Man City or whatever, but he looks like a goal scorer. And he looks like he has the tools, the, the raw materials, the attributes. It's more the question of whether Man United is the right place to get to get the most out of those qualities he has. Yeah, I always think though, I mean, like like, like any other job, right? Um, it takes you a while to be able to build up the confidence to say, this is what I need. This is what I want. This is the runs I'm trying to make. Neil, I mean, you you, you came up for the, you know, the, the youth system at, at Liverpool. When do you feel you've got that confidence when you've entered a, a team of regular starters to say, do you know what? This is what I need to get the best out of me. I need that ball around the back. I need that ball over the top. I think any player, when they're around senior players, you earn that trust very quickly. So so whilst fans will see it on a match day, for a player, players make their mind up very quickly in training. I'm having him. I'm not having him. And I've seen many players, <laughs> honestly, I've seen many players think, oh, not great. And you can see that then they do struggle in the match match day squads. I mean, I think back to, to Juve, Morientes, Crouch, who have had players like that at Liverpool. And very quickly, if the rest of the lads don't have you, it makes it harder. So for me, as a young player coming through, I had a reputation of scoring goals. I earned the trust of the best player, Stephen Gerrard. Stevie rated me and trusted me and thought, right, okay, I'm going to look for him. He had that ability to, to find you. Uh, and we mentioned before about the service for Hoyland. He's not getting that service. He's making runs. He's looking, thinking, where's the service coming? So for me, as a young player coming through, I'd got the trust of the players around me because of training. And they thought, yeah. I can trust it him in a game time. And that's a big factor. So I wonder about these new players when they arrive at a football club. Have they earned the trust? How, how involved are they in that dressing room? So the more senior players are thinking, yeah, I'm having him. And they've developed that understanding. Glenn, you were laughing at that when you talked about, you know, they're, they're, they're sniffing out in training. You, you, you got experience in that. Yeah, listen, I, I agree with what Neil said there, but I think it is slightly different when you come from sort of the academy and you've got to prove yourself. When you're coming in with a a little bit more of a track record, not much in all fairness. Uh, both Nicholas Jackson and Hoyland had similar records at Atlanta and Villarreal with, with a similar amount of goals to a similar amount of appearances. I wouldn't class them as proven scoring 12 and 9 goals in their respective leagues. So I think there is still that element of a young man coming in and having to prove himself. But when I look at Hoyland... We've mentioned his, his his runs, how penetrating they are, the the correct runs. I, I think he's got good movement for a young man. He's got good understanding of the game. But when you break it all down, you're in a Manchester United team that are underperforming. You've got Antti on the left, on the right hand side, who only seems to be interested in cutting in and shooting with his left foot. He never ever goes to the byline and stands it up, which Hoyland needs. And then you've got Marcus Rashford on the other side. Yes, he's underperforming as well. I think there's pressure on him to score goals. Uh, from 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 the fans, from 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 everyone around him, so he feels like he's got a cut in on his right hand side. He never goes to the byline. So as a striker, I don't know what we expect of Hoyland. It's very very hard to prove yourself in a team that that seems to lack philosophy. I honestly believe if you drop Rasmus Hoyland in the Brighton team, he would score goals and affect games more regularly. That's interesting. I think one of the things we spoke about in a, in a previous podcast was um, players going to teams that 
potentially aren't functioning that well or haven't got much of a, a long-term plan. I think, Oli, you wrote about this in your in your piece as well. Uh, Man United, Chelsea, uh, for instance, at this moment in time. But, you know, if you're an agent, you're like, look, <laughs> they're going to offer my kids, whatever. But actually, what's best for the player might be a team like Brighton, might be a team like Brentford, where they get a few more miles before then then go to uh, Manchester United or, or a Chelsea. What do you reckon? I think it's impossible to say no when, when you're a young player at Atalanta and you 12 months before that, you've been a young player at Sturm Graz and six months before that, you've been a young player at Copenhagen. I mean, he, he, he will have seen his earnings creep up with those couple of moves and then he will see his earnings and the platform he's on, etc. is just completely unrecognisable. He, he, it's, it's the kind of money you cannot possibly say no to, I would imagine. And it's also an incredible opportunity to, to be Manchester United's main centre forward. It's a question really of whether he's ready for it because as Glenn said, the track record is really limited. It's nine goals in, in Serie A last season, and it was only one before Christmas. And with Jackson, it, it was only two goals until April last season. And then this flurry of goals late in the season, which earned him the move to Chelsea. So we worked two players with really limited goal-scoring track records. Obviously, they've both got enormous, you know, they've got great attributes, they've got great potential, and they're going to clubs where there is a real opportunity in terms of, there's a starting place for them. But it's also, there are also clubs which, A, look slightly toxic in terms of the environment and, and not very coherent on, in that sense, a bit dysfunctional, a lot of scrutiny. And B, just in terms of the way they play, the, the, the way Manchester United play in particular, it's they don't create many chances for the centre forward. They haven't done for years, really. And it must be difficult. But as he's shown in the Champions League, not yet in the Premier League, if you put the ball in the right places for him, he will score. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Walker pulls it back and Alvarez draws it in and fights Ireland! Devastating! Neil, I'm just thinking, is there an issue right now? Because we've got someone like Haaland, who's beyond comprehension of, of what a striker should be at that age. And, and that bar is just so high, right? So anyone else that shows any sort of promise, we're all looking at them thinking, all right, then you haven't, you haven't scored 50 goals this season. or You've not scored 30 goals this season. What, what's stopping you? Yeah. I, I mean, if you're any centre forward out there, you're thinking, please don't compare me to Haaland. <laughs> it's been unbelievable, hasn't it? And the numbers are frightening. They really are. But also we've, we've touched on it already. Um, Haaland's playing for a football club in Man City that create so many chances and he doesn't even get that many touches of the ball. But And I'm not even sure City even play to his style, but he still scores loads and loads of goals. Whereas you look at United, you look at Chelsea and those two football clubs, they're really struggling at the moment. And if you're a centre forward, you're thinking, I'm going to do well to get 15 goals this season. And that is a big concern for them. Whereas Haaland has shown wherever he goes, 
he's going to score loads of goals. So yeah, I think Haaland is certainly maybe a little bit freakish in terms of his numbers because no one gets anywhere near him. If you're going for golden boot, which Harry Kane and Salah have done for seasons, last season they're thinking, can't get anywhere near this lad. And again, this season you're thinking, who's going to get anywhere near Haaland? So yeah, I think for United, for Chelsea, it's about having a centre-forward who can contribute, but not to the levels of a Haaland, knowing that there is going to be other players with double figures. And I think for a young player... You need that around. And they're not getting that at Chelsea. They're not getting that at Manchester United. Whereas Haaland, there'll be other players in double figures, which helps. But but he's at freakish numbers anyway. Yeah. Uh, Ollie, I want to sort of move this on because I want to talk about Nicholas Jackson as well because we're talking about young players. But also, you know, it's not just Chelsea and Manchester United have bought a young striker. We look at Darwin Nunes, uh, you know, just 23 at Liverpool. How hard is it? to find an elite striker on the market right now. I mean, we look at Lukaku. I thought Lukaku would have more offers, you know, over the summer, but he ended up going to Roma. How hard is it right now to find a top shelf striker who you're not going to have to pay 120 million quid for? So actually, potentially, this is is the market telling us that this is where big teams have to go. There's two aspects to it. I mean, one one is that teams have moved towards more of that sort of false nine pattern over the last decade. And the, the... sort of traditional centre forward has probably gone out of fashion at times. And yet Pep Guardiola, the the sort of high priest of high pressing and false nine, etc. He's the one who's gone after Haaland and, and built a, a new forward line around him. Um, it shows that there is always a place for that type of player. But there aren't, you know, there aren't many of them. And where, where there are very prolific centre forwards, someone like Lukaku, he's judged as someone who, oh, he doesn't do enough off the ball. So he's, his options aren't, where you would really expect them to be, but he's not—he's not playing in the, the the very elite level that you would probably expect somebody with that goal scoring record to be. I mean, it, feel, it feels like you know Liverpool going for Nunez and, and Chelsea going for Jackson and Man United going for Hoyland. It's like players who have probably who would probably just be coming on the radar of the bigger clubs after a good season at a sort of maybe sort of second tier club in Europe. They're getting snapped up for big money because. The availability isn't there, and and Osman is too expensive, and they couldn't get Harry Kane, and there aren't many alternatives. It just feels like there's a really limited pool, and clubs have decided, well, we can't get an Erling Haaland. There isn't one on the market. Let's go for somebody who might, in in two years' time, be be where Hoyland, uh, where Haaland is now. And there are parallels really between Hoyland and Haaland in terms of well, name, blonde hair, both come from Scandinavia, both go. Both went to Austria, scored a lot of goals. And it feels like United have thought, well, we missed out on Haaland. We messed up, really. But let's go and get this guy early. And let's let's be with a place where he polishes those rough edges. Yeah, Neil and Glenn, I'm interested. We've got two strikers looking at me here, probably thinking, oh, do you know what? I'm a pretty decent striker in my day. Let, let Lace it up. Are, are, are strikers of your ilk? Uh, do you feel like it, it's sort of moving on? The game's changing in, in, in that way. That sort of central figure. We're looking at, you know, can Arsenal, for instance, you're looking at the two wide players cutting in and offering them goals. Do, do, you, do you, where do you stand on that, Glenn? Uh, I believe that there's been a resurrection in the number nine. Uh, for, for a few years, it was it was dead and buried for a while when Pep Guardiola was setting the trend of playing with a false nine and everyone was trying to follow in his footsteps. And I'm, we're just chatting about centre forwards there and reliable number nines. And, and I'm thinking, You've got your Kane, your Lewandowski's, your Giroud's, that 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 typical number nine. And then I'm thinking, yeah, but they're 35 years old, though. You know, they're they're, they're older lads. You yeah. Know. So so that that's leading on to my point of between them and I, I'm I'm thinking of your Harlands, like like that we're talking about 
your Hoylands, your Nunes's. Try to think of number nines, really successful, top-class number nines in that gap between those two ages. And there's not many. And that's because of the philosophy of the game and how it changed. But I really do believe now that, that Haaland especially has brought that, that old-school number nine back. Um, I think people want a platform to play from. And when, we talk, when we're talking about guaranteed goals in the Premier League, for me, the next best man is Ivan Toney. And, and I think he will get a big move in the summer. And he is of that ilk of, of holding the ball up, of, of being phys- physically strong, bringing others into play, scoring goals when he gets the opportunity and being, being aerially um, dominant in, in the opposition box. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's the only one really. In, in between that group of players there, it's, it's a real difficult one. And that just shows the trends in football, I suppose. I agree with Glenn in terms of the flexibility is, is more required for attacking players now. So it's not a case of you are just a centre forward. You know, for me and Glenn, we grew up centre forward. I ain't playing right wing. I'm not playing left wing. I'm a centre forward. Uh, and that was the big difference. Whereas now, obviously, it, it's changed in terms of a, an attacking player. You know, you look at Nunez. He's not a nine. He can play left wing. He can play down the middle. You know, it's not just centre forward. You know, I'd imagine Hoyland as well at times maybe played out wide rather than just down the middle. Uh, whereas whereas Harland's a little bit different. And I agree with Tony as well. There will always be a place for a nine if you contribute into the levels. Now, if you're not and you're sort of a little bit in and out with your goal scoring, then then you might get chucked out wide and somebody else might take your place. So the flexibility is certainly there for a lot of players to give managers that chance as well, just to change things in a game if they need to, but always, always be a place for that nine. Even though there's not many about, I always do enjoy seeing it. I mean, even at your place, Glenn uh, Ferguson, he yeah. reminds me of that sort of, that set forward. And for us, I'm thinking, cool, I like that. Like that. He's an handful. He'll put himself about, he'll hold the ball up, but he'll put the ball in the back of the net. And they were the only questions as a centre forward. Ask Glenn, what was the score? Was always a question. The next question, how many did you score? And that won't change for attacking. But how many goals did you score at the end of the season? So we'll ask the questions. You're talking about Hoyland, you talk about Jackson, Nunez, whatever centre forwards. How many goals did you score at the end of the season? Okay. That that probably determine how good a season you've had. It's all about moments. And I I look at say Nicholas Jackson and he gets so many opportunities. And it's just about being calm, confident, and composed in, in that precise moment. And do you know what? Like Neil says, you can have a terrible game, but if you have two moments where you affect the game positively, sometimes that's all that matters. And I, I, I think we get bogged down in what does centre forward do? What does he offer the team? And as long as you can fill holes, block lines, and and defend as a unit, that then when you when you get the ball, if if you can if you can hold it up and, and you can you can add to the the attack. And, and by add, I do, I mean. I don't mean dribbling. I don't mean doing anything extra special. But in that moment of clarity, if you can keep your cool and affect the game positively, that's all it's about sometimes. And I look at Nicholas Jackson and he waltzed off the pitch the other night with three goals. Well, let me tell you, I would have been, I'd have been disappointed in myself if I'd only scored three because that fellow should have had six goals the other night. He had so many glorious opportunities to take two match balls home. And I think that sums his Chelsea career up at the minute is those, when he gets those golden opportunities, he's just fluffing his lines. And and that possibly will come with age. It did with me uh, on, on a personal note. Glenn, Glenn, have you walked off a pitch with a hat-trick disappointed? Well, no, I haven't. But, <laughs> but Neil, come on. 
Would you, would you have been disappointed to get only three the other night? I mean, was it the third one? He nearly stumbled into the back of the net. I mean, how many offsides? How many offsides? That's the one. Like, the line was so high. You just needed to ping it over, time your run, and you, you're straight through. I, I, I tell you what, no, I, I, I wouldn't have been disappointed. Obviously, it's a Premier League hat-trick. But I'd, I would have thought myself, behind closed doors, that should have been five. And, that, and that's just me being super critical of, of me personally. I mean, it, it, he, he might do that, but still... He had enough opportunities in that one game. And let me tell you, his numbers, that that hat-trick has completely rescued his goal-scoring record at Chelsea at the moment. And let's not take away from the fact, Neil, he was playing against nine fellas. And a high line. What was the high line all about? That's another pod. We've already done this this week. We're not going back into that. But but real talk, though, if we take Ferguson, for instance, at Brighton, and then you look at Nicholas Jackson or Hoyland, at Manchester United and Chelsea, it's fair to say that, don't get me wrong, a lot of people are excited by Ferguson, but it's a different project at Brighton in comparison to the limelight that is shining on Nicholas Jackson's head because historically Chelsea struggle with a number nine and also Man United need a number nine. And these are two young players. So, you know, if Ferguson has an okay game, the scrutiny is not as stiff, in my opinion, as Jackson or Hoyland at Manchester United or, or, or Chelsea. What do you reckon to that? Yeah, a, a, a bit, a big thing. And I spoke to Glenn about this. Is leaders in their dressing room? Okay, so so Ferguson's a young kid. He's got a, a massive potential to be a Premier League striker for many years and score goals. Stay at Brighton or maybe go on into a Champions League club. But you need to have the right leaders and pros around you. So I believe in the Brighton dressing room and they've got that. I think they've got some experienced players. The signing of James Milner was was huge. Maybe not for game time on the pitch, but you've got a young talent like Ferguson. Listen to what James Milner is going to be saying. Adam Alana, another experienced player. And I think when I look at young players, they need that. Hoyland at Manchester United. He's got a leader in Rashford who thinks he can go out for, on, on a night out having been beaten in the derby. What sort of leadership is that showing? It's not good. I, I remember losing a derby game for Liverpool against Everton. I remember being in the showers and Cara saying to me, as an experienced player with Jared, what are you doing tonight? And I was thinking, I'm going out. And they were like, no, you're not. You just lost a derby. You are not going out. But I had that around me to help me. I was a young kid. I didn't realise the impact that would, the damage that would have had. And that really helped me because I had senior players like Carragher, like Gerard. I'm saying Ferguson's got that at Brighton. At United, they don't have that. I don't believe they have that. And I don't think that's helping Hoyland. At Chelsea, have they got the senior players? Have they got the leaders in that dressing room to really help a Jackson? Not sure they do. Whereas Nunez at Liverpool, he's got that. Without a doubt, he's got players like Van Dijk, he's got Robertson, he's got experienced players. And that's a big factor. When you talk about judging young players, they need the help around them, not just the, the, the family and the coaching stuff. It's the players and leaders in that dressing room. United don't have it. I don't convince Chelsea do. But I think Ferguson at Brighton does have it, which will help him. It's like anything, if you've got good people around you, whatever industry you're in, you're constantly learning and they're pointing you in the right direction when, when you've made mistakes or or when you're about to make a st- mistake. And one thing I do know about Evan Ferguson is is that he scored goals at a pretty regular level in the Premier League. Um, some performances have been a little bit disappointing. Some have been better than others. He's, he's learning his trade. But one thing I will tell you is that he listens and he learns like Neil says, to, to, to the elder pros and, and funny enough, two of them were with Nunes last year in, in Lalana and um and Milner, well not Lalana a couple of years ago, but Lalana and Milner. But these lads at Brighton, and, and I've spoken depth to to a, a number of the group, they all want to learn and they all want to listen. And I think when you've got more that do that in in a dressing room of of young players, it spreads throughout the group and it it can only be a positive. Ollie should we be exercising a bit of patience? Because I'm just thinking about Glenn's 
conversation around, you know, between the Hoylands and the Lewandowskis and Giroud's. There's just nothing really there in, in between. Arvintoni, of course, but the scrutiny that these young players are facing at top, top clubs like Chelsea and Man United, should we just let them breathe uh, or, or don't they have the time? There's got to be patience with them because they've been bought as projects. They've been bought as players to smooth off those rough edges and turn them into the top-class centre-forwards that the clubs hope they will be. But the urgency of the situation at both clubs, where, where they both struggled for goals last season, and these players have been the, the answer to that in, in the transfer market. That Man United spent a huge amount of money on Hoyland on the basis of really that one season at, um, at Atalanta, where he had only scored one goal by January. So there has to be patience. You've got to think these guys really need time because, I mean, I'm just looking here. Hoyland has scored 39 goals in his career. It's not many goals. Jackson, 27. And these guys are now leading the line at those huge clubs. Haaland had scored 153 before he arrived at Man City. He's now got 249. And he's he's only slightly older than that. Haaland is, you know, a freak of nature in, in, in the best possible way. There's had to be patience with Nunez at Liverpool. I mean, he's, he'd scored a lot more goals than those guys had. But it was only really one really prolific season at Benfica, which had pr- propelled him, elevated him to that level. And his first season at Liverpool was very hit and miss. A lot of people are saying now he's, oh, he's come good now. I think he's still hit and miss. Less hit and miss than the first season. But you can still see those rough edges in a lot of what he does. You can, There's an all-round threat, the same as there is with Hoyland. But there are still a lot of rough edges and you've got to be patient with these guys because I think if, if, if the Hoyland project doesn't work, if the Jackson project doesn't work, I don't think it's on those players. I think it's on the people who have committed such, you know, with Hoyland in particular, such an enormous amount of money to make a 20-year-old the centrepiece of their attack. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolera. Does it say more about the clubs, in essence, than Manchester United and Chelsea that they can't necessarily attract the likes of Harry Kane or Victor Osman? I mean, still to be known whether or not they can. Um, I don't know if United can really afford him at this point in time. Does it say more about where those clubs are at that those top strikers aren't looking at Manchester United and the project there and Chelsea and the project there and thinking, you know what, I could come here and score 30, 40 goals, Neil? Possibly, yeah. I mean, both clubs have definitely been underperforming. Chelsea have spent nearly, what, a billion pounds? But by how much have they actually spent on their attack? You know, Nicholas Jackson is, what, 30-odd million? Half the price of Hoyland. So, so have they really invested in that area? And yet that was the big shortfall. Well, they haven't scored enough goals. You know, Jorginho was the top scorer of the year. It's just, just not been scoring enough goals. United will always be one of the biggest attractions because anywhere you go in the world, if you played for United, Liverpool, not so much Chelsea... Fans around the world recognise that. So I think United will definitely always have a more appeal than Chelsea. Financially, it could be Chelsea. We've seen that in the transfer market lately. They're getting players because of the financial reasons. Those clubs will be back. There's no doubt about it. But at the moment, you're looking and saying, and there's still a long way to go in the Premier League season. You'd be very surprised if I had got in the Champions League next season. The, the only way I think they will get in is if that fifth place becomes uh, a position if for the English clubs, which could be in doubt with the way certainly United and other clubs are performing in Europe. But yeah, I mean, United and Chelsea will always 
always be a big appeal. This don't, so when a top striker comes on the market, you would think with the financial power that these clubs have in, in the Premier League, that they would certainly be, be of interest. I mean, Harry Kane was one, wasn't it? You're thinking, Harry Kane, could he have been tempted to go to Manchester United? But obviously, he's he's, he's gone to Bayern Munich and, and been absolutely brilliant. I'm amazed, by the way, just a side one. How he's not even been talked about Ballon d'Or? I, I reckon him has got to be right in the mix of Ballon d'Or next year. Obviously, England Euros, Bayern Munich chance to win the Champions League. Anyway, that was just a little sideline for me. <laughs> Get it in there, Captain of England, Glenn, what do you reckon? No, I agree. I, th- I think he's, well, Thomas Tuchel sat down in the week, didn't he? And he said, I'm, I'm really surprised how well he's settled. And if anyone's guarantee goals is Harry Kane, uh, is exceptional. But again, even looking to the start of his career at, at these ages that we're talking about now, he was out learning his trade. He played for Leighton Orient and Leicester. And he went out and he and he, he he gave the hard yards. He sat on the bench. He learned from people that probably weren't as good as him in the long run. Well, they weren't as good as him in the long run, but they, different people of how to use your body. And we see him do it all the time now, buying free kicks. And he grew, but his club, in all fairness, give him time to grow. And I played in his first ever game when he scored a career goal for Leighton Orient. No, no one even knew who he was. So he was this young kid scored a goal for Leighton Orient, played for Sheffield Wednesday at the time. And he's gone on to be a superstar. But even then, no one knew who he was. You know, like when, he, when Rooney burst on the scene, it was like, oh my God, Wayne Rooney, yeah. he's going to be a superstar. No one knew that about Harry Kane. The Europa League is what made Harry Kane get that game time and maybe confidence and maybe have a future at, at Tottenham. But yeah, I agree. As a young man, he wasn't being spoken about like some of these superstars. But yeah, he's gone on to be one of the best. The, the, the other thing that made Harry Kane at Spurs is that Adebayor and Soldado, who they both bought for big money, they, they flopped really. And so that that's what meant that when Kane was scoring in the Europa League, there was suddenly an opportunity because the other guys weren't scoring. I mean, I, I don't think Harry Kane at 20, the age Hoyland is now, was anything like guaranteed to have a top career yet we're inclined to judge Hoyland and Jackson at at this incredibly young age because of the positions they've been bought in because of a their potential but b the the sort of desperation in some cases with the clubs that have bought them who have not really shown that they're the best planners and recruiters and strategists over the last few years so yes they've got huge potential both of them but it's I think there are just so many variables here. Neil, can you just articulate what it's like going from, I know you had a prolific youth career, from that step up to playing at that top, top level? I don't know. I think it's a mentality. You know, I felt as though I deserved that opportunity because I've done so well. I felt as though I could handle the environment around me when I was when I was training with the senior player. So I felt ready for that opportunity. I knew the football club. I think that helps, you know, with these these young players that arrive in a, in a new league, a new football club. Do they really know the football club? I understood everything I needed to know about the football club and what was expected. That helped me. Language was never a problem. I understood what was going on. Again, that was a problem maybe for for Nunez in his first season at Liverpool. So these are some of the the issues they have. So so for me, a lot of the the challenges which face a lot of these young players coming to the Premier League that was never one for me. And also, I was at Liverpool at the time, and the expectation wasn't to challenge for the league. You know that was the 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 honest expectation. A little bit like Chelsea and United at the moment, not quite at the level they know they can be. So maybe there is less pressure because no one expects them to do that. And, and that was the case for me at Liverpool when I was in, in and around the team at that time. We were thinking we want to be top four, but we're nowhere near Man United. We're nowhere near Chelsea. We're nowhere near Arsenal at that time. And I think I, I'm sure that Hoyland and Jackson were talking about those players. They know that they're in teams where 
they're looking thinking we've got no chance we're nowhere near City nowhere near Liverpool and Arsenal so the reality for them is can can they have a good season however that, that is defined but try and stay in the, the top level for, for Champions League football which is which is what they want The difference between the two clubs as well is I feel as though Manchester United still expect to win things regularly even though they can't seem to deliver week in week out and they're still going about things the way they always have done for the past 10 years of, of buying the world's best players. Hoyland is probably, he's the the one difference where they've gone for youth, but everyone else in, in your Varans and and, and and that, that they've, they've gone for people that have a proven track record. Whereas, whereas I feel Chelsea have sat back, looked at Manchester City and thought, do you know what, to catch those, we need to change something. And by that, they've gone down a different road of they've brought all the best stars in the world, all the youth in the world, and they're hoping that they can progress. So there is a clear philosophy and a clear plan at Chelsea of how they're going to try and reach the top. Whereas at Manchester United, I just can't see what their plan is other than just buying people and expecting to win. I I feel like there's a there's a clearly a recruitment plan at Chelsea. But I just look at how many young players of the same of, of the same age, same profile, particularly, you know, central defence, central midfield, but also in those attacking positions. And you think, well, how can all of these players make it? That, that It feels like they're really hedging their bets in the hope that, say, three of the central midfielders become nailed on starters, say, you know, three of the central defenders. Do. It just seems like they've, yes, there's a recruitment plan, but I don't know if there's really a plan for the whole thing. It feels like a lot of players who are going to go there are going to end up being sort of spat out 18 months, two years down the line, because they've not they've not measured up. It looks like long-term in one sense, but I don't see how you can take so many young players and for it all to, to work long-term. It feels like there's going to be a lot of players who are going to suffer and be victims of that. And, you know, you could see Jackson, if, if, it, if it doesn't particularly work out after a year, him being sold on and even Lavia signed for big money being sold on if it doesn't if it doesn't work out it just feels like they are really hedging their bets and I don't think that necessarily helps the players either I want to finish on Jackson um, just before you guys go and Ollie just mentioned him there and <laughs> we laughed about it about his hat trick you know maybe could have got a couple um, against Tottenham but you know lads as strikers scoring goals gives you confidence you know surely that should Give him confidence moving forward that he can hold the line for Chelsea and he can be the striker they want because Pochettino said he believes in him. Unai Emery said he believes in him. You know, it's not his time yet, but they feel like this project, when when it all clicks for him, he will do well. No, exactly. I mean, any centre-forward will say they need confidence and confidence is scoring goals. That, for me, is the ultimate, scoring a hat-trick. And I suppose the international duty break coming up, we're thinking, I don't need that. Because all of a sudden he's got going. This could be the bit of a turner for him. He's got a hat trick in a big game, albeit yes, Spurs have had two players set off. But that's big. That to score a hat trick in a, in a game like that could be absolutely huge for his confidence. So this weekend it's another tough game against Man City. So you're thinking he's going to take lots of confidence into that. Think right, okay, I've done it against Spurs. I can do it again in this sort of game, and it could be uh, it could be huge for him this season. And and he's the main man up there, so he's not really under a great deal of pressure for that shirt whilst. Uncle's out injured at the moment. So yeah, that helps as well. If he's got two or three players who are really putting him under pressure for the shirt, I think that, that can play in a striker's mind. I'm not sure Chelsea have that at the moment, which is helping him, certainly up till the January transfer window, have a good run and get himself 10, 15 goals. And he's like, okay, well, well who are you going to bring in now? I'm your main man. 
and that's where he's got that opportunity to uh, to really to, to make that position his own. I think it's all down to to your mindset and and who you are as a person. Personally, even though I would have been delighted I got three goals, I would have looked at that and I would have. And this is this is probably me doubting myself, and and this is me being honest. I would have looked at that hat trick and I would have thought, well, it was only against nine men. Should have probably had more, and I'd I'd have probably been quite negative with myself about it. And that's, I suppose, that's just the makeup of me. And I, I would, I would have doubted that hat trick, even though it's 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 amazing. Yeah, he's got three goals. I would, I would have thought to myself, that's just papered over the cracks of how bad I've been, and I need to keep improving. I need to get better. But without doubt, the next time he steps on the field, he'll have a little bit more confidence. A coach at Liverpool said to me, as Sammy Lee, I was in the youth team, I said, I oh, scored four goals at the weekend, but it was only against Bolton. He said, never, ever belittle an achievement like that. You've scored that. Forget what's happened, whether they've had two men sent or three men sent. Miss tension. Never, ever doubt what you've achieved there. So Jackson's got a hat-trick. Brilliant. You've got a hat-trick. You were the main You've got all them goals. Take that into City at the weekend. Not, you could have had four more goals. But that was what the coach said to me. So I never sort of dwelled on that maybe he didn't get enough hat tricks but that's what I mean when it comes down to your pers- personality isn't it that 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 was just me as a person where I would have picked holes and and I would do that in my own game if I scored in the Premier League and it was against Swansea I'd be like it was only against Swansea though it wasn't against like a a, a, a top six team and and I would, I would constantly question myself but then yeah if you've got if you're a positive person and you've got people around you like Mel says that coach saying do you know what I mean don't d- diminish what you've done then it could be huge for him. It just depends his makeup. Yeah, let's end it there. Personally, I'm on the PMA vibe, gents. Positive mental attitude. I'm that guy. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much for your time, Neil, Glenn and Ollie as well. Look, if you want to read more on Jackson and Hoyland, read Ollie Kay's piece on The Athletic right now. And also, please remember to rate and review the podcast if you're enjoying it. Speak to you next week. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beale. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. To listen to other great athletic football podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. The Athletic Football Podcast is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.